get ready to jerk your joystick on Cinema Oblivia. Welcome to Cinema Oblivia, your podcast for forgotten, unremembered, tossed aside, discarded, out of date, and out of fashion films. I'm your host, James Eldred. And who's joining me today? Uh, it's Matt Cusick. Hey, Matt, who the hell are you? I am me. I'm not really anybody important, uh, but I'm a friend of uh, a friend of James's. I've known him yeah. since college. Yeah, Matt's an old, old college buddy and... Uh, um, uh, connoisseur, I would say, of terrible movies. Would that be correct? I've watched my fair share of bad movies, yes. You've watched an unfair share of bad movies. <laughs> Last time I was at your house, two years ago, you watched, what, Death Spa? Uh, was, uh, probably. That sounds yeah. like something we would have done. Yeah, that sounds about right, yeah. so And also, with the movie we're talking about today, there's another connection. What do you do for a living, if you don't mind? Oh, no problem. I uh, I am a video game developer. I am All an right. engineer. Um, probably nothing anyone's heard of unless you're three years old. So I'll leave it at that unless you ask me for more. That's okay. If you don't want to go into it, we don't got to. Uh, la- last episode, I was subjected by Shane Bettenhausen to watch The Apple. Now I am subjecting pain on to another person by asking my friend Matt here to watch the 1983 just banger of a movie, Joysticks. Matt, have you have you heard of this movie before I asked you to watch it? I had not. This, oh, I'm this, sorry. This was new to me. Yes. So, in case you aren't aware, Joysticks is, a, as I said, 1983 film. Uh, it is a sex comedy primarily set in an arcade. It is, as far as I know, the very first film about video games. <laughs> <laughs> so, beat out Tron? Uh, Tron is a is set in a video game. This is much more about video games. Yes, it's about it's about yeah. the real world. The, yes, the real video games. Yes, Tron is a not a great film. It's better than this movie. Really quick, what what is your opinion of this film, Matt? Um, I have a poor opinion of this film. Yes, yes, uh, I agree. It's not great. I I've definitely seen worse. It's not unwatchable. There are a few funny jokes in it, you know, a, a couple times, but by and large, it's not a very good movie. I would say it has aged better than a lot of sex comedies. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, there's only one scene that's straight up morally reprehensible, as far as I can tell. Um, you compare yeah. that to yeah. something like Revenge of the Nerds, which is just, you can't watch that now. Uh, no, just leave that so- one in the past. Yeah, yeah. My, uh, on the, we have I have a, a a sex comedy cancel scale, and at a ten is Revenge of the Nerds. This it's like can't get more culturally inappropriate in twenty twenty one than that film. But this movie is very much an early eighties film. It is very much a movie that could have only been made 
in between, say, 1982 and 1984. <laughs> because, <laughs> it hit right, right in the bullseye. Right in the bullseye, because two things were happening at that exact time. One, arcades were huge, bigger than they had ever been and bigger than they ever had been since. There were, according to looking up on the varying sources, but well over 10,000 arcades in America in 1982. This is the golden age of the arcade. We were both young because Matt and I, we almost have the exact same birthday. We're off by one day. So that's great for cultural touchstones. But when you were really little, Matt, did you go to arcades? Um, When I was very little, the only experience I ever got of anything close to an arcade was trips to the mall. Yeah. Yeah. Because most most malls back in that era had a like small arcade and it's not really what you would call a, a social hub it was just a place to go while your mom was shopping for clothes yeah the, the arcade in toledo then the north town mall was the electronic experience and my dad used to take us there when he after my parents got divorced <laughs> the first time he would go there because my dad was looking back a gigantic nerd and he loved to play centipede it's good yeah, it's a good game. So we, I would be, I would, I was spending even that when I was probably five years old, a good amount of time in an arcade. What's your favorite like golden age arcade classic? Oh man, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> so I would have to probably go with now. Now I'm, I'm going to blanking. Bosconian is a good game. Okay, what's what's it called? What's it called? Bosconian, I believe, is the name of okay. it. Okay. Um, and then there's um. Why am I blanking on this? You know, I live, I hunger. It would it would taunt you from the arcade. Oh, forty seven way joystick or whatever. Sinistar. Yeah, Sinistar. Thank you. I can I can tell you that it had a for, like a high number directional joystick, but not the friggin' name of it. <laughs> We're getting old. My my go to early one was always Missile Command, and That's a good game. yeah, uh, I guess a little bit later Marble Madness. So. I guess I like trackballs. Yeah, that uh, was, not, and I guess Centipede would be one of the trackball games. Maybe Centipede, you, yeah. <laughs> I also liked, my arcade had that weird Pac-Man game that was also a pinball machine. Yeah, so I was, well, maybe we can talk about that later once we talk about the movie, because I noticed something like that in that arcade, and I was Yeah, that arcade's great, yeah. But arcades were huge then. They were, it's hard to find a lot of revenue figures that are just about arcades in the early 80s, because a lot of them lump in the home console market. But one figure I found on an article at US Gamer, which is a source I trust, is that by 1982, Donkey Kong made $280 million. Whoa. Yes. Bally, one of the big companies, they hit $800 million in sales. And by 1981, arcades were making literally over a billion dollars a year. And in the home market, home and arcade, Atari was a monster. Warner Brothers had bought them earlier, and in 1982, Atari made up 70% of Warner Brothers' revenue. <laughs> That's incredible. But it wouldn't last because... <laughs> <laughs> Not very much end, longer. No, by the end of 1983, the year this movie came out, over 2,000 arcades had closed. The bottom had dropped out. They got too big, too fast, and the bubble had burst. And it took a good, it took, I don't think arcades even remotely recovered until Street Fighter 2, right? Yeah, and even then it wasn't, wasn't the same. 
Yeah, it wasn't the same. Like, arcades definitely were a thing throughout the 80s. Because, like, my local arcade never closed until I graduated from high school in, like, 97. And Toledo still has an arcade. It still has a major magic, which is, like, the local Chuck E. Cheese knockoff. Wow. And I used to go there for my birthday, well, like, into the late 80s. So they stuck around, but they weren't the cultural phenomenon they were. Like, they were on the arcades were a Time Magazine cover story in 1982 it's it's very hard to i hate to use the word zeitgeist it's overused but they were def they were much they were as much a part of early 80s culture as disco was a part of late 70s culture sometimes often combined and the, and the thing is the crazy thing about the the games like that era if you look at all the classic what people would remember even like if you weren't from that era the like classic arcade games they all came out and essentially 81, 82, 83, like those years. Yeah. Were like, like everything. Yeah. Like a couple of early, like Space Invaders is a bit earlier. Right. But for the most part, yeah. Pac Man, Missile Command, Galaga. Control, Galaga yeah. is a little bit earlier. But yeah, especially a lot of the more like, like a Missile Command, like the Atari stuff. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of things in this movie. Yeah. A lot of things in this movie. And at the same time this was happening, there was a big. And this is not a new thing, an anti-arcade mentality among older adults. Because arcades predate video games. There were mechanical games and pinball machines, which were illegal in some states. Still are technically in Pittsburgh, I believe. Oh, well, don't tell me. Well, you have to have a license for them. Uh, pinball license, yes. Got my liquor, my pinball. Like a fucking Pennsylvania. God damn it. Everything. <laughs> I, I don't miss that. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but like parents groups were protesting arcades in the 50s and this never went away in the 80s they were linking them to drugs and vandalism were there any uh, dangerous elements at your local arcade <laughs> not not any more than your local high school I would say <laughs> probably safer nowadays yeah generally the, uh, the, the it's funny that you mentioned the um, the the kind of like you know scare right there's always the like yeah. whatever whatever's popular at the time is some there's sort a moral, of moral a moral panic yeah yes yeah and uh i might bring that up later when we're talking about the movie but uh i'm gonna i'm gonna a, th- a thing i noticed about this movie i don't see i don't think i saw anyone talking about but uh mm-hmm. this movie is got inklings of the music man oh my we'll get there yeah <laughs> you're the first person to make that comparison and <laughs> it's a good one you'll find out why I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But yeah, they were, that was a huge thing. The arcades and the backlash against arcades was a huge thing in the early 80s. At the exact same time, oh boy. So, there's a film called Animal House. You may have heard of it. It came out in 1978. Uh, it grossed $121 million. That, that, that's, a, that's a lot of dollars. It's, and yes, another one that parts of it are still funny, parts of it in 2021, not so good. But, you know, I loved it when I was a teenager, you know, and I am not that film's target market. And, um, but that movie was absolutely huge. $121 million for an R-rated comedy in 1978 is a big deal. And if you know anything about Hollywood, you get one cheap movie that makes $100 million, you're going to get a lot more cheap movies just like it. So, there was... Uh, in 83, another big one was Risky Business with Tom Cruise, his first big hit. That wasn't as big as Animal House. <laughs> Stupid thing to say. But 
it made $60 million, launched his career. But the biggest of the very early sex comedies was Porky's. Have you seen Porky's? I I have. Why? (laughs) I was a teenager once. I don't really remember anything about it. But I remember... I don't remember where I saw it or why, but I do remember it being a, a naughty film to watch as a child. Yes, it came out in 1981 a little bit, but its wide release was 1982. It made $160 million. It was the fifth highest grossing film of the year. I don't have the full stats for 82, but who? I mean, it's the fifth highest grossing movie of the year. That's crazy. That's crazy. And, and in the wake of it, a billion movies just like super cheap super quick to make some of them good most of them not there's private school private lessons private resort those things are not related um mischief starring uh kelly preston and Locke from lost as her angry dad uh class losing it i think that's the other tom cruise sex comedy class act this like Revenge of the Nerds again. There's so many of them. It was it was just you couldn't you couldn't you know you couldn't throw what, anything about hitting a hitting a tit. What what percentage of them revolved around college in some way? Most of them were high school. Oh, see, that's the you know right, that's yeah. you, we people the R rated sex com the R rated teen sex comedy was a major revenue force for movie studios in the eighties. Because they were dirt cheap. They would make, you know, they cost like $2 million to make. They make $8 million and they're gone. You know, that's not not changing the world. But you release a few of those, you're doing okay for yourself. And it, it, was a, it was, you know, not to sound like an old man, but it was a different time. And those really fell out of favor, I guess, in the late 80s, early 90s. They made a brief comeback with American Pie. Well, yeah, I guess it would be, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, you know, Mallrats was the attempted comeback, and that didn't work, uh, even though, you know, I love Mallrats. Way different vibe. The first DVD I ever bought was the Mallrats DVD, and on a special feature, they talk about Kevin Smith wanted to make a revival of the 80s sex comedy. That was his plan. It didn't work. But, uh, but so you have sex comedies are huge, arcades are huge. You're, let's say, not the most talented director in the world, and you want to make a quick buck. I bet you have an idea. <laughs> and that's where we get Graydon Clark. Guy, but um, it's my first day at the arcade. You work at the video arcade. <laughs> I am laying down the law about that arcade, young lady. I don't want the police to know anything about this, but I got an idea. I want to go to the arcade, like, I am going to go. the left, The director of Joysticks. Have you heard of the name Graydon Clark before? Never. I, as... You know, I think our bad movie, uh, if, if you took my bad movie taste and your bad movie taste, there'd be a Venn diagram, and there's an overlap, but I tend to go for, like, I don't I don't say bad, I like vintage cheese, you like trash. Trash, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, he's done both. He, uh, 
He directed, I, I think his earlier films are better. He made a movie I've always wanted to see, a, a black exploitation film called Black Shampoo. And that's a name. Might, well, it is a parody of Shampoo, ah. starring Warren Beatty. So that's why it's called Black Shampoo. It's okay. about a black hairdresser who just kills all kinds of people. He made uh, Satan's Cheerleaders. That sounds like something I would have watched. I'm surprised you haven't. There's, um, I, you know what? I may have. I mean, yeah, I've watched yeah, a lot I, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've watched and forgotten a lot of stuff. Yeah, Uninvited, which is a killer cat movie. Good NES he game. made Wacko, which is a terrible horror comedy. Probably his most of no early film that I know of is Without Warning. Without Warning is a movie about an alien hunter that comes to Earth to hunt people. Okay. It's not Predator. It came out before Predator. Nice. And it has Jack Palance. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. And I'm pretty sure the actor who plays the the monster in Without Warning is the same actor who played the Predator. Well, I want to watch yeah, this now. So, yeah, yeah. It's not. I haven't seen it. I heard that movie. People like that movie. It, it has good, a, a relatively good reputation, unlike many other Graydon Clark films. He, you know, he has an official autobiography you can buy on his website. It's called On the Cheap. Okay. So, yeah. Like, he, he he knows news. what he's doing. Like, yeah. you know, he, he's not he's not making art. He's making money, and I'm sure he made a lot of money. I I found an interview with him on a, a website called Daily Grindhouse about this movie. And he said, and this is not some grand artistic statement by him. He says he went to LA. He, he, uh, he saw a bunch of kids, teenage boys lining up to get in an arcade. And he's like, Hey, I got an idea for a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Hey, I wish I had, had that creative burst that easily. <laughs> yes. And he is a great quote. When I got back to L.A., I started thinking about video games, teenagers, and sex. That's that's a sentence you don't want to say out loud. <laughs> it was a different time, <laughs> and you know he he uh, he read an L.A. He read an article about a mom who was upset that her kid was at the arcade too much. You put all that in a blender, you get this movie, and he started. They they filmed it really quick. Yeah, I did notice on the the, the great resource um, Wikipedia, which who knows? I think it did have a source. Thirteen uh, days for production on this. Really, that many? Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking, wow, that's not that many. But I, my reference is my, my wife works on films, so like thirteen days is crazy short. <laughs> yeah, especially for a movie that has quite a few people in it, like and a lot of scenes, you know, uh, different locations. Locations different are the loca- big ones. Yeah, yeah, well, big crowd scenes, you know, like mm-hmm. not that big. I would imagine they filmed all the arcade stuff in like two days. And right, th- yeah, you know, this bam, 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 you know, second take. What's that? Yeah, you could tell that but, there was definitely a eh, no, we'll, we'll stick with that take. <laughs> yeah, but you know, he didn't make it alone. He had kind of a crew of people that worked with him. He had uh, two people, Mikey Epps, who goes by Mikey as an adult, and uh, Curtis Birch. Those are producers who also co-wrote it. Um, Mikey Epps didn't do anything, really. He he has a small role in the Robert England Phantom of the Opera movie. Oh, boy. Yeah. And uh, Curtis Birch, he's a producer on a few other movies. Uh, he wrote Ladybugs, the uh, Rodney Dangerfield children's oh. cross-dressing soccer film. 
Yes, I forgot about that movie until you just said that. I, I think Jack Kay's in that too from Two Two Seven, and wow. uh, he was, according to the IMDb, the assistant editor on Stunt Rock. Which Stunt Rock? Have you seen Stunt Rock? I don't think I have actually. Stunt Rock's an Australian movie. It's about a stuntman who's friends with a glam metal band. No, I have seen this. <laughs> I think I was pretty I lo- drunk when I saw it, though. I love Stunt Rock. It's by Brian Treachard Smith, one of my favorite directors of all time. Stunt Rock's okay. a great movie. It's much better. It's not a good movie, but it's a great movie. And yeah. it's much better than Joysticks. Another writer on this was Al Gomez. This is his only writing credit. He wrote dialogue for the Dinotopia video game. Sure. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. Hey, so, hey, he got into video games eventually. Yeah. Uh, the movie had a couple other producers. Um, and but sadly, like one of them, this is not his worst film. The guy, associate producer, Dale Cass. He was a production manager and an associate producer for Adam Sandler films. Oh, okay. He's grown ups one and two, Jack yep. and Jill. You know, just so he's made some money. He made some money, but at the cost of his soul, man. Yeah, that's hey, so much money you 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 have to get rid of your soul. Like that's how he it works. also worked on Critters, good movie, the eighties Blob, good movie, mm-hmm, yeah. then the Wizard of Speed and Time. Oh, I love that movie. I know it's weird, yeah. And the other producer, this is the real like kind of breakaway person from this circle, uh, George W. Perkins. He also did Critters and Teen Wolf, man, and. Then he moved on to TV and was the co-executive producer for Desperate Housewives. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's definitely made some money then. But then uh, the cinematographer, uh, whose name I can barely say, Nicholas Joseph von Sandenberg, I'm only bringing that up because he was the cinematographer on Dolomite. Oh, that's cool. So that's a better film than this. And he's gotten better because this entire film, I didn't see the boom mic once. <laughs> yeah, there's I'm a like, lot of reflective surfaces. So yeah, good on him. Yeah, good on on him. One of the strangest, the strangest crew credit I found is, and I don't. I was just skinning through it, and I recognized the name of a painter, and I'm like, why the hell do I know the name of this painter? And I click on it, and it's Frank Silva. That's Bob from Twin Peaks. Yeah, because he's not an actor; he's a set designer. He's a set decorator. And do you know why why he got in Twin Peaks? You know that story? I do not know the story. He was accidentally in a shot. Oh, I think, I, yeah, no, this does sound familiar. And I imagine they noticed it before they finished filming, but I think David Lynch saw him in the shot, he liked it, left it in, and that's how he got the job as Bob from Twin Peaks, because Bob's a creepy-looking motherfucker. So, yeah, that's that's the people who brought us this film, but the I think the real interesting people, well, I think one the most interesting person involved in this film is the antagonist, uh, Joseph Rudder, played by the one, the only Joe Don Baker. Yeah, you know anything about? I I know you know one movie of Joe Don Baker. You can go ahead and talk about it. Which one? Uh, Mitchell. Mitchell from Mystery and, Science Theater and Cool Hand Luke, which and is my Cooper. my favorite Joe Don Baker. Yeah, he's good in that. He Joe Don Baker, like he became a punchline. Uh, I think largely because of Mitchell and another movie. That was also on a Mystery Science Theater, Final Justice, another Graydon Clark film. That's two. Uh, they must have been buddies. But I think, you know, Joe Don Baker gets a bad rep, man, because he was in uh, Sam Peckinpah's, Sam Peckinpah's uh, Junior Boomer. 
playing Steve McQueen's brother. Uh, he's in a movie I just saw last week called Charlie Varick with Walter Matthau. It's one of those Walter Matthau action movies. Nice. There's a few of those. If you want to see Walter Matthau, the action star, I recommend it. And in and he's in Walking Tall, which was a huge hit. Huge. And Joe Don Baker in the 70s, like he was just a giant motherfucker. Like he was just in, in Charlie Varick, he's a mob hitman and he's terrifying. Yeah, he's a big he's just he's an imposing figure. He 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 can be in, not so much in this. He can be an imposing figure. He he has that he, he he's like thick. He's thick. He's like a drunken Burt Reynolds, but not hot. Fair. <laughs> I guess. But you know, he maybe I don't know if he casts flows and ops in a, a problem. I don't know what the issue is, but he's in a lot of garbage and it's all sprinkled in throughout these big hits. Like you said, he was in Cool Hand Luke. Yeah. And the year after he was in this, he was in the natural. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe he needed a paycheck. Maybe Maybe he's just not very discerning. I don't know. He's he's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, but it, he couldn't have gotten much money for this movie. No. I can't imagine. Yeah. I would imagine a good chunk of the budget was paying him. I'm assuming and, he he will I'm gonna this is just a guess, right? Because I don't know. But you know, hey, I got a few months or a couple of weeks. Yeah, sure, I'll I'll take a paycheck, right? Like yeah, 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 he's not proud. Not? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and I think he could probably film most of it. Like the movie took thirteen days. I bet he did his in two or three. Cause Yeah, totally. You know, and like he plays the antagonist of the film. He's the guy who wants to shut the arcade down because his daughters there they don't really yeah you know i mean that's reasons, essentially it he's upset reasons. and then in the arcade there is the employee the one of the main characters eugene groby played by a dude named leaf green nothing he was in greece too <laughs> yep that's all i saw yeah i was i was trying to figure out if anybody was from anywhere but no there was a few and you you found one we'll get to in a minute yeah and then there's the the hero of the film, sexy boy Scott McInnes, he plays Jefferson Bailey. It's his it's his grandfather's arcade. He's in Star Trek Three, apparently. It's a small role in that, and he directed the Honey I Shrunk the Kids TV show. All right, okay. So Getting he work. didn't you know stick around that much. There is the secondary antagonist, <laughs> King Vidiot. Oh, I love King Vidiot. <laughs> King Vidiot's great. He's played by John Grease. John Grease is in a billion things. He's he's Uncle Rick Rio in Napoleon Dynamite. I don't know if this movie would be watchable without King Vidiot. Yeah, King Vidiot takes it a long way in his little his little crew. You know, they're adorable. They, they definitely do a lot. He he brings a lot to it. There are a lot of supporting roles. They bring a lot to it. The Joe Don Baker's nephews, yep, uh, <laughs> Arnie and Max. You know, Max. Is Dale number two on Newhart? Yeah, that's is that the hold on. I'm trying to remember. Is that that's the that's the little that's the guy, guy with the weak chin, right? In the movie, yeah, the, yes, yes, the the negative chin. The he one I call uh, the, he looks like Ichabod Crane. Yeah, and then the, the tall one, uh, that's John Dell. He's also in a million things, and I know him because he's the killer in the movie Angel, which, which I've is not seen. a fantastic sleazy movie about a teenage prostitute and I, I sound like a sick person but trust me it's a very good movie you know there's there's a lot of good movies out there where you just it's not bl- as slimy as it sounds it right. is quite slimy but <laughs> but it's a good uh, it's a good movie about a slimy topic 
it's a great movie on a slimy topic, and it, it's uh, that's going to be a whole episode. I oh god, I I love that movie. I will so, say yeah, real quick though, that, that man, uh, I can't remember what's his name again, John Dell. He he very much. Both me and my wife are like, it looks like Tom Hanks's brother, who will often do like <laughs> fill in for Tom as like a body double. It really yeah. looks like him. So if you can't get Tom Hanks and you can't get Tom Hanks's brother, there you, you call go. this guy. Yep, there exactly. Yeah, Joe Don Baker's daughter in the movie is Pat is a uh, played by a uh, Corrine. I don't even know how to say her last name. Borer, Borer. She was in Police Academy Four. She was in Zapped. Zapped is a worse movie than this. Oof. Uh, Zapped is the telekinetic sex comedy. <laughs> oh, that sounds like it could go bad places. Oh, it goes terrible places. And it has Scott Bayo. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Younger people might know her. She was the mom on Veronica Mars. And she was in an episode of a kind of a, a funny episode of Friends where, oh God, I hate talking about plots of Friends. She's in the episode of Friends where Joey's having a, is in taking part in a sex study. So he can't have sex, but he's Joey. So he's dating this woman, and is, they politely say it, but basically, since he can't have sex, he just goes down on her all the time, and she loves it. That's the plot. Yep. And that, that sounds like network, a Friends episode, all right. Network TV, man. But uh, <laughs> 90s. But the, the, the sidekick character playing... Bluto in Animal House <laughs> is uh, a character called McDorfus, and he's just Bluto. Like, have you you've seen Animal House, right? Yes. Yeah, his uh, he's just Bluto. Jim Dr- McDorfus is Bluto. Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And uh, Graydon Clark calls it an homage, but you know, no, you're just lazy. And uh, I feel sorry for the actor. The actor's name is Jim Greenleaf. He doesn't. I think he's trying, man. Yeah, I feel really bad. I don't think I did. I looked. I was looking up most of these actors, and I'm like, I ran across his family, Indiegogo, running, trying to raise money for him for having some. I'm like, oh no, no, that's that's. He sounds, had a rough. Yeah, you know. Also, this is not the worst movie he's in. He's in Gorp. He's in Evil Speak. He's in He's in Surf Two. Hmm. Kind of another dredge of 80 sex comedies but yeah i was reading yeah reading up about him like not too soon after this he was in a major car accident that almost killed him and you know he he did okay after that he did some stand-up he was really into playing santa on the internet Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is kind of adorable yeah Uh, he's got that look as he got older he seemed like a really sweet guy he passed away a few years ago unfortunately but he he seemed like a really sweet guy who who deserved a better film than this, like without question. So, rest in peace, McDorfus. We hardly knew ye. Yeah, but that, that character. We haven't really talked about the plot of the film. Oh, you, oh, you you wanted to mention one other person. You you did yeah, some digging too. So who who did you find? So um, not the an actress who barely has a role, but it's mm-hmm. uh. Joseph Rudder's wife, who doesn't even have a first name, I believe, in the movie. Yeah. It's just Mrs. Rudder. Yep. Mm-hmm. Is Morgan Lofting, who... And who's if, that? If you're our age, which is... Um, 40. Late 30s to mid 40s, or late... Yeah, mm-hmm. I would say around there. She she was a voice actress, mostly, through her career, and she was the Baroness. In G.I. Joe. In G.I. Joe. That's... So, I know a lot of, lot of straight boys out there 
you're yeah. a fan of her. So if you want to see what the Baroness really looked like. But yeah, she, it's kind of incredible. She was in uh, G.I. Joe. She mm-hmm. was in uh, Transformers. She was in Gem. Like, she was, uh, she was in a lot of the hot properties back in, uh, back in the 80s. From what I've always noticed about voice acting, if, if you get in and you're good, you're in everything, especially in the 80s. Yeah, there's there's definitely some names that have been around. Yeah, like Frank Welker type yeah. people who are, who are just in 8 billion things forever and ever and ever. So, good on her. I'm, I'm glad she she didn't, you know, stake a career on joysticks. Uh, <laughs> because that, that would have been bad. But... In this episode, usually I don't get too much into spoilers on a movie because I think you should see it. This movie, you know, (laughs) not that important. If you're super sensitive about spoilers, turn it off now. Subject yourself to it on uh, Amazon Prime or IMDb IMDb TV where it's free. So you don't have to pay for it at least. And then come on back where we will give you the deep dive into joysticks, which sounds... Kind of gross. Anyway, uh, but yeah, the movie. So, oh god, this what what is the plot of Joysticks, Matt? Um, good luck. There's an arcade. Uh huh. Yes. Good job. Mm-hmm. And there is a 16 year old high school girl that is in the arcade mm-hmm. that the father finds out and disapproves of. So, in order to stop this from happening, he tries to get the arcade shut down by the mayor. Yes. The end. And Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And even and if if you're thinking, boy, that doesn't sound like much of a plot. Guess what? You're right. Yeah. Large portions of this film just kind of meander by. Like has two endings. The entire opening, like the the girl is not a main character. She's barely in a movie. Like this teenage girl speaking in the worst fake Valley Girl accent like ever. Y- yes. God, that eh. yeah, so, that's was, exactly it. You you nailed it. <laughs> I pay, man. I'm glad. I'm glad my lack of R pronunciation pays off sometimes. And she like so like, but the movie starts with Eugene, the nerd. Like Eugene is the every nerd. I'm he he has he wears a like a vest and like garish pants and has greasy hair and glasses. And he's going to the the very first scene. The okay, so the opening. <laughs> Opening credits of this film tell you what it's about because it's a it's a woman barely wearing a shirt and clothes and and shorts playing video games, right? That's it. Yep. And with the amazing song, totally awesome video games. (laughs) The the soundtrack to this film features a bunch of songs about video games. By a band called Legion. I know nothing about them because if you go to Discogs to look up Legion, there are 85 bands called Legion. This is number 56 on the Discogs rank on the Discogs website. I can't, I don't, there's no credit to who they are. The songwriters did some other stuff, nothing major. 
one of them, one of the producers on that on the soundtrack ended up working with the Runaways. So good for her. One of the songwriters wrote, wrote for one of Tina Turner's bad albums. Uh, say, yeah, the, the lyrics, the lyricist um, was not very creative. Totally awesome video games. Literally a and, line in the, in the song. Yeah, yes. And it's this totally awesome video games, shot of Galaga, girl's ass. Totally awesome video games, Moon Patrol, girl's breasts. That's and, the if, opening credits. If you'd like, I could give you a little sampling. I, I made sure to write down some of these lyrics. Oh, please do. Please do. This <laughs> okay. is dramatic reading. I'm not gonna, yeah, <laughs> Go this ahead. is going to be more of a poetry reading. Oh, I'm right. stoked. Keen eyes. Quick hands. Energize. My soul again. Gonna see my name in lights. Playing with my joystick. Wiggle left. Jerk it right. Zapping everything in sight. Shoot fast. Shoot straight. Video to the max. Yes. So joystick means penis. Yes. If they yes, wasn't if obvious when they had yes. to use the word jerk. Yes, yes. Uh, another great quote about the production of the film is uh, Graydon Clark. It was it was filmed under the title Video Madness. At one point, Zordon Baker says that phrase in the movie. But Clark always wanted to call it Joystick. And the, the distributor's like, you can't call it Joystick. People will figure out what you mean and we'll get in trouble. And he's like, yeah. That's kind because of Because if we point. get in trouble, we'll make more money. So... They they uh they reached a compromise and called it joysticks, which you know <laughs> pl- plural penis reference is better than singular, I guess. I I don't know. It's yeah. Hey hey, it worked. So yeah, but like from the op- after the from the start of the opening credits, it takes three minutes till you see breasts. Yeah, it's first scene. <laughs> first scene: two college girls as a sorority initiation prank pants the nerd Eugene. And well, get him to pants himself, but be fair. Yeah, yeah, they, but yeah, and I take, and I feel like this is one of those things that, like, in an R-rated, even in the eighties, and even in the an R-rated film in the eighties, you couldn't show a lot below the waist. So the irony being, he's very embarrassed by this, but yes. his boxers are longer than anyone else's shorts in the entire movie. Yeah, so like, I feel like I, I bet in the script or and when he was writing it, he's like, he's gonna they're gonna pants him and take a picture of his boner. You know, or like but at least what, tidy whiteies or something. At least tidy whiteies, but maybe, maybe like we can't sew a dick on screen, and then the actor's like, "I'm not wearing. You're not paying me enough to put on tidy whiteies," and so then you just get this really lame, like as pranks as as pranks that could be sexual assault go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite tame, quite tame. And but he's upset because it's his first day at the arcade, and he wants to be a good impression for his boss, Jefferson Bailey. Again, Scott McGinnis, Jefferson Bailey is the is a is a just disgustingly pretty boy. Mm-hmm. He does he have a personality? Um, they try to stuff one into him about halfway through the movie. Yes, yes his character, but his character trait. No, they they yeah. they surprise you with a oh, guess what? At some point. Well, they 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 bring up early on that he's a ladies' man because he likes to watch girls play video games while they take their clothes off. That that's, is true. That's the only way you can do it, I guess. And, and granted, um, he also did partook in the clothes taking off in that. Scene. Yes, he takes his clothes off too. You know, give him credit. You know, um, but he won't. He always he makes an effort. I never play these games, which I didn't need to play. be explained. But they tried. But they so, tried. 
we'll get there. So, but the 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 gaming savant is McDorfus, and the introduction to McDorfus is he's one of the most disgusting characters I've ever seen in a movie. Like it's, 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 did you watch this with closed captions on, by the way? Oh, I was going to get there. I was going to get there. Those Excellent. are the best. Yes. Yes. So, um, McDorfus is, they, 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 they point, they, they say that he was the class president, but video games destroyed his life. And now he's this fat, like greasy, literally like he's like, Oh, he's disgusting. Like he's like wet throughout yeah. the movie. <laughs> it's like it's not like water wet either. It's like whatever the whatever the like makeup department used on him. It's like they just covered him in Crisco or something. Yeah, he looks disgusting. He's a greasy guy, and he's always stuffing his face with food and farting all the time. And man, those captions. The so on IMBD on the IMBD TV app or service. The closed captionings for the farts. <laughs> Every one of them. Did you did you write them down? No, I, I I have them in my head, but I didn't write them down. But they, man, I. What are the so yeah? What are the some of the what, let's let's my favorite. We're doing we're doing high art today. Yeah. What are the uh, the closed captions for the farts? So my favorite, which I think could have been a different name for the movie, <laughs> which is Dorfus farts wetly. Yes, that was yes, <laughs> which happened several <laughs> times. Not several, many times in the movie. Well, I I did write them down. I found that list. Oh, nice. So there was yes. There's Dorfus farts wetly. There is. <laughs> Sorry, I laugh every time. <laughs> <laughs> there is farts gently. Yep, gently. You don't always have to fart her hard. Um, <laughs> there was farts explosively. Explosively. Yep. I. I really, as an English teacher, <laughs> I appreciate the effort in adverbial phrasing. <laughs> Wetly gets me. And <laughs> I double checked that was a word. And the, then, but then there was thunderous wet farting. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I, I know that I'm a simple man. That <laughs> <laughs> which, which turns on Jodan Baker's wife. Yes, like because she, like, should we explain why? I why I I missed why. How why does the farting get her get her going? So she, okay, they they first introduce the main antagonist's wife as the two characters try to sneak into Rudder's house to yeah. get dirt on him to stop him from yeah. trying to shut down the arcade. Yeah, and the the Eugene, the nerdy guy, mm-hmm. accidentally. Well, one Dorfus tries to talk him into raping this woman. Essentially, yeah, because she she's she's whacked out on sleep on, on sleeping, sleeping pills. pills, and, and you know, actually, to- Eugene's like, no, yeah, Eugene, not a bad kid. <laughs> yeah, he's like absolutely not, but yeah. he's like stuck because the wife is like out of it and like thinks it's maybe her husband is like mm-hmm. classic sex comedy stuff, like yes, oh, yes. he can't get away and all this stuff. Yes. And in her state, hears like Dorfus um farting wetly. Yes. And stuff. So I think she's associating in the subconscious state that with like this fantasy that she's having, which then comes just, up later. It's Yeah, it's, because later on when Dorfus is kidnapped and held hostage at the Red household, she she just wants to hump him right there. Yeah, like, she's into him. She is into him and you know, 
They also imply that Mr. Rudder just does, is no longer interested in any sort of relations with his wife. That was totally an 80s trope. Like, you think about, like, you know, Al Bundy. Yeah. Yeah. And and Norm and Cheers. Like, the, like, like I don't know. Hey, man, I don't know. What, Very antagonistic relationship yeah, in the 80s. Straight men not wanting to have sex with their wives. I don't get it, you know, on a lot of levels. But, hey, whatever. You know, and, like, she's just into him. And he's so disgusting. Not because he's fat. Because I'm not a thin man. And, you know... Chubby chases our thing. That's, but he trust he's me. purposely but, gross. But he's just so disgusting. Like he he looks like what you think of if you think of like the worst stereotype of a four channer. Yeah, and like they 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 go out of their way to to explain that he's gross and doesn't care. Like he won't wash yeah. his hands when handling food and stuff. Like yeah, and it's not needed sneezes, in the movie. He sneezes into a hot dog, which then somehow ends up in a girl's cleavage. Right, classic. Yeah, you know, cl- as classy, you do. As and then they can't get the hot dog out of the cleavage, and it's a whole. It's it's wacky. Jordan Baker doesn't like his daughter in the arcade, and in the real world, I would say fuck this dude. But this arcade is like a den of depravity. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it's also kind of cool. It's a. I mean, it's a very cool arcade. Yeah. So the arcade, you know, painted by Bob from Twin Peaks. Um, Good job. He did a good job. It's very, it's a, like, I wish my arcade in the 80s was that cool. Exactly. There's a lot of Pac-Man iconography in the, in the arcade. They also use Pac-Man wipes. Oh, like, the Pac-Man wipe. Yes, the Pac-Man wipe, because Grid and Clark asked Midway for permission to use Pac-Man. Didn't ask Namco. <laughs> yeah. That would have been, been a weird conversation. Asked Midway. They said yes, but you have to show some games. So, like, when there are gaming tournaments in the movie, they play Satan's Hollow. Mm-hmm. And it's Super Pac-Man. Yep. On on a very elaborate wizard-style stage prop arcade I'll, controllers. I'll give the movie credit. That's a good idea. Because if you just have two guys playing in front of two arcade cabinets, you can't see anything. It's true. Yeah. No, it's, so they make this makes really sense. make this elaborate projection system with these giant joysticks. No pun intended by me. Pun intended by them. Yes. And especially the, the cool. shots that they have showing that, like they're oh they're jerking them sticks hard. Oh, yeah. And also fast. those controllers would be incredibly hard to use for the types of games they were playing. But I don't want to yeah, get into details it, it, of that. <laughs> Yes, factually speaking, there's a problem there. But yeah, it is a cool arcade. Like, what are some of the games you saw? Okay, man, there was that arcade had like the the hits of the early '80s. Like, yeah, uh, there was Pole Position, there was Moon Patrol, I saw Galaga and Pac Man, Defender. There's, there's even a, a Puyon. They even had Jungle King, which is a great game. You don't see around. Yeah, Jungle King's a great game. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> game. Uh, the, like the only things I saw missing, but maybe it was too early. What are things like Pack Rat and stuff? But they had a all like that game. Their arcade had everything you'd want to play. Had, they had a deluxe Space Invaders. Yep. They had a Space Dungeon. It's true. Wizard of War. Mm-hmm. I love that game. Some game called Hustle. I have seen, so a lot of my arcade game uh, experience. Don't use the wood. Why talking about this film? <laughs> no, it's uh. The uh, like, you know, there's, there's plenty of, uh, you know, you can play pretty much any any arcade game you want right now. But uh, yeah. there's a big uh, convention I go to when I'm allowed to because mm-hmm. there's not a pandemic going on where, where there's a huge arcade. And like, man, I could spend all, all day at an arcade with all those games. Yeah, just, totally incredible. 
Yeah. And it was it was so cool. And there, there is one game that we couldn't figure out. So Bailey, he won't play games, but he'll let the girls compete in strip gaming. And he strips with them. And they're playing a game that is like Pac-Man with a burlesque dancer. Yeah. And the cabinet says Americana. Like, it, it had to be a real game. Yeah, it's one of those cabinets that the stand-up, it was like the stand-up cocktail ones that you saw some of like the old um, Nintendo. Uh, like, that was that stand-up thing I've only ever seen for like some old Nintendo games. Okay. It's a rare, it's, I, it's not very common to see it. Yeah, and it, it's 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 smaller. It looks like a Japanese cabinet, yeah. almost. Yeah, yeah, it's like a it's like a miniature version of the like back to back cabinets you'd see in a Japanese arcade, but it, when yeah. they put it on pedestals, like essentially legs. Yeah, it was weird, and like it was such a weird game to. Fo- I guess they focus on that game because there's a girl in the game. I guess maybe, <laughs> but like yeah, the the strip there, there was a there was a uh, this movie is very top heavy with tops in the first. <laughs> Mm-hmm. First, I would say most of the tits are in the first thirty minutes. It's like there's the opening scene of two girls naked. Then those same girls are naked in there. Then there's a there's the a van there's scene, a van, the van random hot tub. Yeah, the weird random van hot tub scene that had no reason to be there, other than with the people who are looking at the camera. Yep. <laughs> like at one point, the dude in the hot tub is looking at the, directly at the camera, laughing. I just want to understand um, how they don't get. Wa- so the the van is shaking yeah. in the in the film. I don't. I want to know how they keep all the water in the hot tub in their van with it. With well, the van. Unit. No, the van's not shaking. The van's are rocking. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Should have been rocking all of that water out of the hot tub. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's a hot. T- yeah, but like, there's so many boobs. It's it as was the style at the time. To to Graydon Clark's credit, once again. He said in that interview on Daily Grindhouse, when he's casting a movie, he always makes sure he's not alone in the room with the actresses. So nobody gets the wrong idea. So ahead of his time? Ahead of his time. Hey, you know, I, a lot of a lot of like trashy B movie people, they 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 work with the same people over and over again. Do you know who Andy Sedaris is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the girls on all his movies. So if he was a pig, they wouldn't come. I would imagine a lot of them, at least some of them would quit. So I think a lot of the dudes who are focused on the TNA filmmaking, they, people think they're pigs, but they just, you know, they know how to make money. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, well, I wouldn't say it's common, but that's the same thing in like uh, slasher films and stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it is. It is funny that I saw this like one of the most respectful and like progressive ideas on, on taking care of women in a movie is from the director of Joysticks. <laughs> that's yeah. So yeah, but like throughout all this, like that's when the uh, Rudder Jordan Baker comes. He sees the naked woman there. He gets angry. Uh, his stupid nephews wear drag. Yeah, that's that was a thing that was a uh, weird scene where oh, I, cu- yeah. I couldn't tell if they were trying. I don't know. <laughs> it, I don't think it's a gay joke other than King Vidiot. We'll get there to one second. Yeah. And it's not, I wouldn't say it's hateful or offensive. It's stupid. Yes. Uh, there's no reason for them to be in drag. He's just, one of them's in drag, one's a hippie. And the, we- the weird part is like, the when nephew in drag is kind of into it. Yeah, you know, good on him. 
you know, uh, like, and they didn't, no one like really batted an eye at that. <laughs> so I was like, okay, yeah, and, all right, man. And he gets the, he gets the attention of <clears throat> King Vidiot. Yeah. King Vidiot. King Vidiot. <laughs> <laughs> his, his little group though, man, it's they're they're, they're awesome. So yeah, King Vidiot is what a, middle-aged white guy thought punk was in 1982 83 uh he is decked out in leather he wears makeup like safety pins safety pins abound and him and his clan of idiots they'll all have dyed hair yeah his hair is bad their hair are is awesome yeah their hair is great his hair i liked his hair in a in a in a wow that took work I can't way. tell if it was a wig on him. I imagine it was a sprite on. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah. It'd be because it's blue and purple or something. Yeah. It was yeah. very oddly positioned on his head. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The coloring is strange. He, I feel like that actor, uh, John Grease. He's trying. Like, yeah, he he is an actual character. He actually, yeah, he actually is a character who seems to like put forth some effort in doing something. He has no arc. No. He's just, in fact, a lot of his motivations completely confounding. Yeah, yeah. Like he hates the arcade, but he likes going to the arcade. He doesn't hate the arcade. He hates Bailey. Why does he hate Bailey? Because Bailey doesn't like him. Why doesn't he like him? Because he doesn't like, you know. Yeah, it's circular. And it's like, oh, actions I'll take will close down the arcade. The thing that I like going to, none of it makes any sense. Yeah, none of it makes sense. The one good line in a film. Uh, well, the, the the one good scene in the film <laughs> is when Joe Don Baker and Vidya meet to conspire. What the hell are you doing here? You said you wanted to talk. I'm in my office. I don't like offices. Why don't you use a door? I don't like doors. Very well, Mr. Vidya, have a seat. I don't like seats. And that's another thing. The name is King Vidya, not... Mr. Vidiot, you can call me your highness if you like. You and I have something in common. Do you know what that is? We both like to hang out in public bathrooms. No. We both hate that arcade. Wait a minute, man. I love the arcade. Then let me put it another way. Uh, We both hate Jefferson Bailey. Now, I saw him kick you out of there last night, and if you're half the leader, I think you are. I am half the leader. You think I am. Uh, you like some revenge? Yeah. Revenge. Sure. That's a great, that is a funny scene. If if they should have made a movie, they should have made a road movie with Rudder and King Vidiot. <laughs> I would a watch sequel it. where it's them forced to do something in the town because the mayor is now like yeah. on the arcade side. And then they fall in love. No. Um... <laughs> Yeah, because the mayor, because events like all these plots to get the arcade shut down don't work. They try to steal the game. They straight up just try to steal the arcade. Yep. Like, and well, the nephews. Remember, remember when my friend owned that game store and arcade? I've moved Golden Age arcade cabinets. They, that's, that's, it would take more than the two of them, the couple, like, yeah. Because oh. they don't use plywood. <laughs> well, the CRTs alone, and they're all top heavy. They're all top heavy. They use CRTs. They use actual solid wood, not particle board, and they use actual metal. So they weigh like 
um, our friend, a mutual friend, um, who helped us move in there, like her friend got a hernia. One of one of uh, her friends got a hernia moving an asteroid cabinet. Yeah, you don't want to mess around with those things. One, they're, those things they're are, dangerous yeah, they're even when they're turned off. Yeah, also like McGorch or whatever. Yeah, McDorfus. You know, cousin, McDorfus. He he opens a machine up when it's on with a with a metal knife in his hand, point poking around at things in the back. <laughs> like don't he did. Do that. <laughs> no, you definitely do not do that. There are capacitors in those CRTs that will unload on you. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can just end up die. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Those old machines are dangerous. So if, if you if you get nothing out of this movie or this podcast, a public service announcement, if you happen upon an old video game cabinet, be careful with it. Google it before you touch it. Or any real old CRT, be careful. Yeah, yeah, they'll fuck you up. They'll 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 definitely run you down. But so like King Vidiot's part of the plan is to I don't remember like, like his his motivations and his like plot line is so confusing. Yeah, yeah. And but he does early on the, he has a, a tournament, a Satan's Hollow match with McDorfus, and that's when you over the right to stay in the arcade during a party. Yep. And that's when you first see the giant setup and you see that McDorfus is so good at video games that he can just eat a hot dog as disgustingly as possible. While Vidiot plays, and then McDorfus can just kill him, can just get the highest score on one life. Yep. Yeah, or that's something. That's that's the idea. Is that that's not how games work? Everyone else sits around all worried because McDorfus refuses to play until his last life. Yeah. So tense. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's intense. So like, there's no the conflict is garbage. There's a meeting. They try to go to the mayor to set the arcade down, and the mayor's like, no. <laughs> yeah the so do we want to get into the tr- the weird trial i mean i don't want to spend it's not worth getting in the scene by scene thing of it like latest but there's an important thing to learn about the trial oh please I, I okay then if you. if you found an important thing so, please share <clears throat> so mm-hmm. uh have you seen the music man N- no it's no i haven't okay so the music man uh it's been a while since i've seen it but thankfully, my wife was with watch me with me twice. This movie. <laughs> Hi, Liz. <laughs> uh, and there, there's a line that is said specifically. For, okay, so first things first. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The name of the town. It's River City. That is the same. Well, other than what I thought, River City Ransom was <laughs> yeah, me too. But that's the name of the town in the Music Man. So and is 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 joysticks a low key remake of Music Man? So so there's a there's a song oh. in the Music Man where mm-hmm. he is essentially trying to distract the townsfolk mm-hmm. about other stuff he's doing by getting them to hate on a pool hall in the same way that Rudder is trying to shut down. Essentially, he's like this pool hall. It's it's distracting your kids. It's awful. It's a it's, Den of depravity. Yeah. Harold Hill is the name of the <laughs> main, main character in the music man. And so like, there's this whole song about, and it, it literally says you've got trouble. Like the line in, in joysticks is the same exact line that Harold Hill sings about the crazy in, well, in the music man. Music man is a very common high school musical, right? 
I yes. In fact, I feel like the first time I saw it was at a high school. <laughs> so that that might be one of the writers. That might I I not I am not going to give the writers enough credit to say that they were Broadway aficionados. I think one of them knew a lot, knew the Music Man, and just stuck it in there. I will yeah. say that the, I believe at the end of Music Man, a trial occurs similar to what occurs in this movie too. That's that's, that's the kind of tied up because like the you got trouble in River City okay. is a line okay. that's stated at this. At wow, this trial. Music Man is also the inspiration for the monorail in The Simpsons, right? Yes, exactly. Okay, yeah. If for people who might not know the Music Man, that gives them a kind of a rough idea. <laughs> it's about a con man. Yes, he's trying to. And, and it, yeah. Anyway, it's it's yeah. it's a thing that I was like, I think they did that on purpose. Yeah, yeah. That's that's crazy. Who knew? You did. Good job. Because <laughs> uh, I said, I think I think Joysticks isn't like a low key remake of Music Man. It's like if Music Man was told from the perspective of the pool hall that Harold Hill was distracting everyone by, by a man and the owner of the pool hall really likes tits. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're kind so, of implying that in the in the musical anyway. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Den of per- um, depravity, really. Like your all your kids are doing awful things at this place. But like the. The the whole the whole thing is ridiculous because none of it matters because the mayor's like no fuck you it's we can't close an arcade because you're angry at it yeah and it, it, they've done the nothing illegal should, the the movie should just end there yeah that's the end of the movie right no they, <laughs> except it's only an hour in <laughs> it's only an hour an hour ten in it feels like it's two and a half hours in yep. but they're like no we have let's for no reason Bailey agrees. To have a video game show off, and if they win, if they win, then uh, Rudder will leave them alone. And if they lose, they'll close. They'll close the arcade. Yeah, the idea. The, I think the idea being is that Rudder is hell bent on ruining their lives and was going to yes. keep bothering them. So, like, the only way to get the, him off their back is for some reason he'll agree to a video game contest. Which Just is murder strange. him. Just murder him. It's fine. Don't <laughs> worry about it. Uh, and but 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 Bailey can't. Com- so they know that uh, McDorfus will win again. So they kidnap McDorfus, and so Bailey has to compete. But Bailey, Bailey, man, <laughs> plot all of a sudden. <laughs> Video games killed his girlfriend. Not really, but almost. So in a my favorite shot in the film <laughs> is the flashback of Bailey and his girlfriend. They're both buck naked. <laughs> All the candles. With the candles on the video games. And they're just like making love. Like they're not even fucking. They're making love. Yeah. Like it's passionate soulful surrounded by video games and candles yep there's like and candles literally on every possible surface on yeah on every possible surface. it looks like a scene and, out of phantom of the opera there's like yes yeah, this the phantom of my joystick baby and uh her dad her girlfriend's dad comes in and catches them and now whenever bailey looks in a video game monitor he sees the dad in the reflection and he just can't play video makes, games. It makes him sick to his stomach. That, that doesn't. He wasn't playing video games when it happened. He nope. was fucking. You think that would give him the trauma? Exactly. We said the same <laughs> thing. It's like why that and not sleeping with women is being the trigger. <laughs> yeah, and he still loves this girl, right? But he has no problem strip video games, threesome. Yeah, 
I mean, there is the scene during that where like the girls are trying to get him to do things and he's very hesitant about it. It's a weird sex comedy and that like a lot of people are very hesitant about that stuff. A lot of sex comedies don't have sex. They just have nudity. Yeah, but like because you could tell at that point, like, I don't know if it's the actor or if he's actually acting it well, but he's kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe both. It's easier to get an R rating if you have a lot of nudity, but not a lot of actual sex. So movies like this, you see tits abound, but there aren't a lot of like long sex scenes. And when there are, they're played for comedy, like in Porky's. So that's probably a factor. And also it's easier to get a good, I would imagine it's easier to convince someone to do a nude scene if it's not overtly sexual. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot you know, less complicated on set A lot less well. complicated and all that stuff like that. So, yeah, probably that's the main reason why. But, yeah, purposes it makes no of, sense. Uh, not like, I, I get, my, my wife is a costumer on films. So, like, I get, you hear about, like, you know, the weird pr- privacy, like, jockstrap things. It's like, it's oh, complicated yeah, the, the if sock, you get a sock. Yeah. Yeah. But, so, they they kidnap McDorfus and so he has to compete. The, McDorfus comes back, but then, no, I can do it. And then he beats Vidya in Super Pac-Man. Yes. Grandpa comes back out of nowhere. He brings the girlfriend from out of nowhere. Yeah, like completely just shotgun weird happenstances. Yes, he emerges from a Galaga machine. I don't know. Um, (laughs) End of movie. And I'm, and what? Like, it's just, it screams this was created to capitalize on trends. And that's it. Like it has the most as even for a bad, bad, the, 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 you would agree with me. The hallmark of a bad movie is not having a lot of plot. Because then it depends on what kind of bad you're talking about, but that's definitely one kind of bad, a a boring movie. Yes. Yeah. You, the, the worst sin is being boring. Yes. The worst sin is being boring. And if nothing like going back to Andy Sedaris movies, like, uh, he made Hard Ticket to Hawaii, which is yeah. an amazing movie. <laughs> yeah. and, which is an amazing movie because it's not boring, man. Like, yo, it's stupid. Yep. And it's also that movie is, I think, in terms of exploitation, very fair because everyone in that movie, male and female, gets as naked as they can and is hot as hell. It's just fun to so, watch. It's that movie's amazing. I highly recommend it. But like this movie, just nothing happens, and it's just you know the, the from a historical standpoint, seeing the arcade is cool. Like, and if I was if I saw this movie when it came not when it, if I saw this movie before I was the age of ten, let's say, I would really want to see it because boobies. Yep, and uh, I would want to see a movie about video games. Yeah, like. You know, as a little kid. And I think for enough people, that was probably, that's enough to get enough people like that, that they'll go see the movie. And people saw this movie in a theater. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people, opened, apparently. Quite enough, yeah. So it opened, I uh, went to Box Office Mojo. It opened at number eight with 1.4 million, which doesn't sound like a lot, but the difference between number eight with 1.4 million and number three is only $400,000. So the number one movie that week was Tootsie in its 12th week with $4 million. And then 
There's Gandhi and and forty eight hours well in their runs, thirteen weeks each. They're making two and around two million each. Right. And then Zoya Six is one point four. Uh, the only other movie that came out that week was a movie called Vigilante. Have you seen Vigilante? I don't think so. It's not very good. It's a revenge movie. It's a it's a vigilante movie, duh, with uh, Fred Williamson. Uh, okay. It's not bad. I, I think I own it. Um, it's a movie. The the music. So, quick sidetrack. The music is by the guy who did the music for Star Trek when the episode of Picard when he gets in the, in the other world. Oh like, heck yeah! With the flute, with the tin yeah, tin whistle. Same composer. Same composer. Nice. I'm the only person who knows that. You're welcome. That's uh, a really that's a really good episode. Yeah, it is. Um, better than this um but yeah so like joysticks open in eighth place but but it had a insanely high per screen average because only most of these movies are playing on 600 800 screens sometimes more this is playing on 310 screens and made over 4500 dollars on each screen so <laughs> that's Pack a theaters. really good poll for a small movie it it Probably was only nationally released for maybe two or three weeks, but this is still the the era of filmmaking where a movie will just travel around small theaters for months. And so this movie made $4 million. With a small budget. With a very small budget, I have to imagine. And yeah, made its money back, like no question. And then some. Graydon Clark said he made a lot of money off of it. Um, he said the the production company that he worked with this, went bankrupt the following year, uh, unrelated to this. Uh, but he said it did very well. Uh, it did not do well with the critics. Suppressed. Now place. I'm no, yeah, you know. So critics never like sex comedies. You know, they they even I think because they're bad. But like you know, movies like Police Academy and Porky's. They're not going to get good reviews, and I'm going to say Police Academy and Porky's, both better than Joysticks. So, I had to do deep digging. There are not a lot of contemporaneous reviews of Joysticks on the internet. So, I had to dig into newspaper archives, and I found a few from Jay Carr at the Boston Globe. Joysticks is the sort of film that gives sublimation a bad name. It doesn't do much for video games either. Yeah. Def Rietveld from the Santa Clara Signal. One-dimensional silliness is the order of the day in Joysticks. And another film, Lone Wolf McQuaid. Also, I've seen Lone Wolf McQuaid. It's better than Joysticks. It's too bad they're not a double feature because each is worth less than half the admission price. Ooh. Variety <laughs> just simply says not funny enough to justify its existence. <laughs> wow. Damn. And my favorite was a dude, Chris Walters in the Austin American Statesman, who refers to the film as joystick repeatedly, not joysticks. That's how that's how little <laughs> he's he gonna cared. get in trouble. That's of course that's the what really, they wanted originally, right? So yes, yes. The really appalling aspect of joystick is is that it was apparently written and directed by people who would be outgunned in a battle of wits with a bucket of mud. <laughs> so yeah, not a critical darling. That's, that's um, harsh. It's harsh. The movie fell into kind of a, you know, I assume it got a VHS release, but not a very big one because my dad's store never had it. Wow, that's actually surprising. It. This seems like perfect video store material. It, I, I think the, product, the, 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 the distributor went under. Yeah, well, 
and so that makes it harder. Uh, it was on TV a lot. It was on it was on the movie channel a lot. Looking through old newspapers, it was on the movie channel like three times a day. So that's too many that's times. <laughs> if you if you grew up in the eighties, that, that's probably how you saw it. If you had cable, it's like that movie Hots, that topless female football movie yeah. that was on HBO like every day, and so like everyone's seen it. Um, but yeah, and and it it's just it fell it fell into obscurity, and it's kind of I think just recently got re released. The soundtrack got re released on vinyl. For reasons, and I didn't buy it, and that you, you know me—that's saying something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of love that first opening song, ironically, but I wouldn't it to- buy yeah. a vinyl of it. You can bounce. Uh, it's on a label called Eczema Records. Ugh. I know. <laughs> Brought to you by McDorfus. Now, um. Just just to make sure it's clear here, because you are you're definitely the vinyl connoisseur. But I've gotten into a little bit of, over the last year or so, and I bought the decoder soundtrack. So like I bought some weird movie soundtracks. I and- bought just this month, I bought the soundtrack to Cue the Winged Serpent on vinyl. Okay. And I own the Howard the Duck soundtrack. Well, that's Howard the Duck you love. Yeah, I do, but it's just an example. I own that on LP. I own the 12-inch single on LP. I own the 3-CD deluxe reissue that came out last year, and I own it on a Japanese cassette tape. This is the least surprising thing you've ever told me. Exactly. So, like, if anybody's going to buy a dumb soundtrack, it's me is what I'm saying. I'm oh, like, yeah. no. I'm I mean, you, you have – there are art on your walls, so – yeah, yeah, I, yeah. You know, I used to have the I used to have the soundtrack to the Beastmaster on my wall. You know, I'm a fan, but I'm not going to buy. Now, that being said, if there was like like a 1983 release of the soundtrack, and I saw it in a used store for five dollars, yeah, I'd buy it. Yeah, but I'm not spending new vinyl money on this movie. No, nobody needs to do that. It's it's a shame that aside from Tron, this is really the first movie about video games. So, yeah, and it's weird because like, it's it's more about the culture around the arcade. Yeah, and and there's there, it's 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 just a shame that there aren't many movies about that because it was so it was such a flash in the pan. Yeah, that they were gone you know, before anyone can make a movie about it. The only other movie I can think of that really shows arcade culture as a plot point is Nightmares. I've not seen that. It's an anthology film, and there's a part with Emilio Estevez as an arcade hustler, and he gets an arcade, like like a pool hustler, you know, not yeah. not not like a, a hustler right. hustler. Um, that's, a, that's a different movie. And... Um, he gets sucked into the game. It's kind of silly, but it, it does have some good vintage arcade stuff in it. But other than that, there aren't a lot of like old arcade movies. So, like, if you could, what would be your ideal golden age arcade movie? Like, what would be in it, or like, what would like, be what, the what, actual? How movie? could could that could that exist? Could there be a good movie about arcades that was like set in the early eighties or made in the early eighties, like with video have, games as a plot point, or would it I be too? I think you could pull off a a movie that maybe right you, you got some kind of karate kid esque plot line 
<laughs> you know, you got like the wizard, right? Like from like later yeah. in the, you do something like that for like made for like tweens, the teens. Like, I think that could be pulled off. I Some sort of like could... arcade competition. Yeah, that'd be a good way. Or if you want to lean more into the parents upset angle. That could always be combined into a kid's movie. Parents yeah, getting yeah, upset totally. about the thing. Like, well, like, like break, you know, like a break, a break in movie. Like they're trying yeah. to close the rec center, you know, Absolutely. they're trying to close the arcade. We have to have a video game tournament to get enough money, you know? I mean, because yeah. honestly, this movie did make a good point. There was an actual point at one point in this movie where they said, really? like, this is where these kids feel like they belong. Like, this is where they can go yeah. and feel like they're part of a community. Yeah. But I, I, now we weren't, we were both like three years old when this movie came out. So we weren't there. But I do have to wonder, well, like, were incredibly attractive people going to arcades in the early 80s? It was already a nerd thing. Well, you know? it, was, it wasn't until the mid '80s that the like weird like genderizing of even yeah, video games point. happened, yeah. right? So, like, yeah. I, I yeah. bet you there was a lot. It was a lot more equal at that point. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't until that so, weird like, like Nintendo marketing. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, so I guess like in that regard, it could be an interesting. I wish there could have been a better snapshot of this culture because it's long gone, and yeah, it's not coming back either. All we have for it is joysticks, you know, like if you and like what would be I'm sure nowadays is there a movie about esports? Um, not that I know of. I can think of things that are like tangentially about like video game competition, like uh, <laughs> the FP. But like, yeah. that's that's not at all what you're thinking. Yeah, because like. I feel if you're going to make a movie about video games now, it'd be about like that. You couldn't do it. That too. It'd be like making a movie about movies. Right. If you yeah. were, you would have to be, it'd be, it'd have to be like tongue in cheek, like making fun of uh, like some more meta thing. Like grandma's like boy. Right? Sandler movie. Yeah. Yeah. Pixels. Yeah. I think. Right. Yeah. Like, and that probably made money and like things like oh, that. Wreck-It, Wreck-It Ralph. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's, well, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's a good example, I guess, but there isn't anything like about quote unquote gaming anymore. You know, yeah. so, like Wreck-It Ralph's probably the biggest one of like yeah. the last whatever. And 10, it's better than this, years. I would imagine. Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I guess that's, that's kind of like the one thing that I guess kind of burns me out is that there was a chance to make a, uh, at least an interesting movie about this culture. And unfortunately the person who chose to do it was Graydon Clark. It, it could have been worse. How? It could have been made by Fred Olin Ray. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. And like, I guess, like I said, as 80s teen sex comedies go, it's not the most offensive. Right. That's the thing that kind of surprised me about it the first time, really. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, this only has one rape joke. Right. Yeah. But like, usually they're <laughs> just, just stuff full. Yeah. And, and much more like, I wouldn't say the women in this film are treated with, with respect, but they're treated as willing participants. Yeah. Yeah. Then so sometimes the initi- more, initiators. Yeah, that's more than you can say of Porky's man because Porky's. Yeah. Yep. Oof. 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 Yeah. I'm not, I'm not planning on so, watching that one anytime soon. That's gonna stay. That's one. That's the one that's gonna stay in my childhood. I don't want I, that to I've go anywhere new. I've never seen all of Porky's. I've seen parts of it, and uh, my boyfriend is a big Kim Cattrall fan. So he he asked about it and I'm like, no. No, no, just watch Mannequin. 
also kind of problematic, yeah. but whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's a better movie. <laughs> it has the good Starship song. <laughs> Not the bad one. So, yeah. Better soundtrack than joysticks. And it's Starship. That's really telling you something. But anyway, I guess we should wrap up. Like, you know, I like I, like I said before, I, it's a bad movie. Uh, I do think it's worth watching almost from an anthropological standpoint just to show you what Hollywood or like B-movie Hollywood thought video games were like in 1982, for good or bad. (laughs) What do you think? Should people make an effort to watch this provided they don't have to pay money for it? An effort? I don't know. Like... (laughs) I guess if you're listening to this podcast, yeah, yeah, sure, yes, yeah. actually, actually, yes, to your mm-hmm. average person, don't, don't, okay, yes, go ahead and watch it. Don't inflict this on somebody else. <laughs> yeah, I did not make my boyfriend watch this. Right. Yeah, he has no interest in video games. So if if you do, if you are interested in arcades, it's at, at least the first half hour is worth watching. Yes. Like if you just want if you just want to see some nice high def footage of old arcade cabinets and a cool looking old arcade, people then, dying in the games on purpose, strangely. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, they don't, people who were filming the footage. They, you know, also in the opening credits, very good filmed footage of CRT monitors. I didn't really think about that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, that's not easy. Yeah, and like the weird big screen thing they did, like they were composited over. They did a pretty yeah. good job. Yeah, whoever, whoever, because you got to do like refresh things. Like it's hard to it's hard to film a monitor. Yeah, especially especially on those film. old ones, especially with the games with the way that they would refresh the the. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So good on him. He did that right. I'll give great on great and Clark. He knows how to film Pac Man. Now I really want to go back. No, this is too much. I want to. Maybe they had a way to get direct feed, and no, let's not go there. <laughs> No, because you can see the reflect. No, because it's obviously. I think with with the uh, composite shot, that might be a direct feed. But with the opening credits, that's obviously pointing it at a at a screen. Yeah, but it's done. Like I know it sounds like a silly thing to praise, but a lot that's not an easy thing to do well. In yeah, the, the 80s. cinematographer of the era wouldn't have had that much experience with it. I'm sure. Yeah, you know, I'm glad that the cinematographer of Dolomite was able to do this so yeah but anyway uh i'm gonna wrap up now matt i'm sorry ah i'm not the worst movie i watched this week yeah what is the worst movie you watched this week extra two extra two with john michael vincent right it, well, yes <laughs> funny enough if you listen to episode, episode two of this podcast it was brought up he was brought up so uh <laughs> listeners of this podcast should get used to to me mentioning john michael vincent because a, I like everything he did before 1981, and B, damn son, but he shows anyway. up in places. <laughs> what? He shows up. Yeah, he shows up. Yeah, you'll just be watching some shit. And like, what the fuck is John? God damn it! And now the theme from Airwolf is stuck in my head. Yep, yeah, <laughs> that came up last night as well when I watched. Yes, that sure. Hey, I hey, speaking of shit, I own on vinyl. <laughs> okay, now we're now we're going off on a tangent again. <laughs> Uh, anyway, thanks again. And anyway, so where can people on the internet find you if they want to? Uh, you probably shouldn't. <laughs> okay. Thanks again to my friend Matt for chatting about a terrible film. I really appreciate it. If you want to find me on the internet, again, you can find me on Twitter at Lost Turntable, 
And on my website, LostTurntable.com, I'm also on another podcast called Alexander's Ragtime Band. That's about progressive rock music. So if that's something that you're interested in, maybe you check that out. But thanks again for listening. I'll be back next week with a discussion of, I promise you, a better film. My red joystick.